Hi and welcome to our Daughters Climate Podcast. Focusing on developing countries, we hope to cover a range of issues relating to climate change, development, sustainability, conservation and many more. Today's guest is Dr. Maheshwar Dhakar. He is Joint Secretary and Head of the Climate Change Management Division at the Ministry of Forests and Environment in the Government of Nepal. He is also the UNFCCC Focal Point for Nepal. He holds a Master's in Environmental Sciences and PhD in Forest Resource Economics from the University of Tsukuba, Japan. His research focuses on forest policy, economic valuation of forest products, protected area and conservation policies, and human-wildlife conflicts in Nepal. I'm Keith Manyan, and I'll be your host for today. Hi, Dr. Dakhal. Thank you so very much for coming to our show. We're privileged to have you with us. I'm going to get started by asking you this. Can you perhaps take us through your career arc? Thank you very much, Akriti, and giving me this opportunity because I'm very pleased to talk with you. Regarding to my career, I'm working as the Chief of the Climate Management Division, the Ministry of Forest and Environment in Nepal. I'm also a national focal point for UNFCCC and IPCC and UNCCD as well. In the past, I was a national focal point for UNCBD and CITES, Ramsar, and UNESCO conventions as well. My uh, education, I completed my master and PhD from University of Tsukuba, Japan. And I have uh, more than 20 years working experience here in the ministry with the government of Nepal. Thank you so much for that. So moving to more specifically, Nepal and climate change. So according to 2020 Global Climate Vulnerability Index, Nepal is ranked as ninth as the most vulnerable country in the world to climate crisis. I find this very ironic, given that Nepal is responsible for literally a minuscule fraction of worldwide greenhouse gas emissions, but is most likely to suffer from the effects of climate change. So please enlighten us on how the government is dealing with this issue and what kind of policies are in place to protect Nepal's population. Yes. According to the 2020 Global Climate Vulnerability Index, yes, Nepal is considered is the ninth position, is the most vulnerable country. As you know, the Nepal is a mountainous country, a landlocked country, and by economy, it is a least developed country as well. Most of the people are farmers. Uh, their livelihood is largely based on agriculture. Most of the people are suffer from the landslides, floods, and inundations. In the winter seasons, the slow onset impact, of, uh, for example, the a kind of, uh, not exactly desertifications, but most of the water resources in the mountainous regions, they are drying up, and people have to visit long distance to get a liter of water, and the people from the marginalized community, particularly women and socioeconomically poor peoples are really vulnerable to get the resources and to find their livelihoods opportunities. These are the some areas that Nepalese peoples are very much vulnerable with climate change effects. In the meantime, because of this climate change, affects uh, our infrastructure and then even health and drinking water problems. Yeah, they're all vulnerable. But in order to address those effects from the climate change, the government of Nepal endorsed 
national climate change policy last year in 2019 and the policy aims to develop climate resilient society through sustainable development this is very uh, big objectives of this policy this policy has clear seven objectives based on the nepalis situations and we have a core areas of climate change thematic areas we identified under this policy then this policy thematic areas are agriculture and food security this is the most important one and then second one is the forest and biodiversity water seed management another one is the clean energy and water resources as you know nepal is very much rich in water resources and another one is the cultural and natural tourism because the tourism is the main income for the nepalese peoples who are living in the himalayan parts of the country and then another is the urban and rural settlement is a part of the infrastructures but another important area is of course large scale infrastructure transport and industry which is the major area to carbon emissions and drinking water and health is another area and the final and most important one is climate induced disaster as i already mentioned about landslides floods and inundation is the big problem in the summer season and these are the eight areas we identified with priority but at the same time do you know the nepal is a country having a heterogeneous society in terms of caste and ethnicity and then different language cultures and then gender and social inclusion is equally important to address the more vulnerable people with the special program similarly we need a research and technology development technology i think the modern technology in one part but on the other hand we need a promotion of the indigenous knowledge and techniques that are applied by the people in the ground another area of intervention is all people are not equally aware about the climate change because the education level is different socio economic condition is different that's why to aware the people on climate change issues and educate them and build the capacity is another really important one and then final area of the climate change policy is finance whatever core areas or cross cutting areas whatever identified in the climate change policy we need a climate finance to implement those activities including cross cutting and core areas our policy identified the eight core areas and the four cross cutting areas and in collectively this climate change policy is implemented by three layers of the government the federal government provincial government and then local government but side by side we are taking on board to the private sector and the civil society and we are working in a team to address the climate change in the ground yeah these are the policies but at the same times government of nepal is a uh, developed local adaptation plan for actions in order to guide the local communities and local government to implement the climate adaptation activities and then another document is national adaptation plan is under preparations and at the same times the government of nepal is planning to develop enhance nationally determinant contribution endc which should be submitted by the end of this year so all these policies sound extremely complex because you're talking about different layers of government there is bureaucracy of course which is part and parcel of subcontinental life right 
I'm just curious to see, do you think this is something that can be implemented and will need lots of intervention from government? Or do you see this as choices bureaucrats will make and say, this is something I must take on and implement for the betterment of my country? I'm just curious to know your opinion, please. Yes. Nepal introduced the new federal system so just three years back, right? And we had uh, three layers of the government, the federal government, provincial government, and local government. That's why we also designed the new climate change policy considering these three layers of the government. But uh, side by side, we consider the private sector and the civil society, even NGO people. They can implement or they can be a part of this policy implementation agent, either local government level or provincial level government level or the federal government. Our policy we design based on our country situations, right? That's why I'm a bit doubt whether it's exactly similar to other countries or not. It's very difficult to say, but this is a new policy and we develop based on our local situations. So you mentioned carbon emissions and I just want to talk about Kathmandu and like three years back it was listed as the seventh most spiritual city in the world. So in the last three years, what kind of steps have you taken to kind of rectify the situation? And are you looking as a country to move away from fossil fuels, for instance, and looking at renewable energy as a source of fuel? If you compare to the Kathmandu, to the Delhi or Hong Kong or one of the other international mega cities, I think the Kathmandu situation is a bit different, right? Right. Because most of the infrastructure development in Kathmandu were under construction few years back, right? But if you come to Nepal or Kathmandu in this time, I think not only because of lockdown, because most of the roads are black dropping nowadays. And there is no air pollution that you mentioned earlier. This is the one reason. Because of the construction, the air pollution was much higher in the past. But now mm-hmm. it's a bit controlled. And another one is, of course, the, because of the lockdown, it already reduced the, some pollution. But um, I'm not sure whether all the vehicles, all the transports operate in full phase. Then the situation, what will be happen in the future? So I do not know. But... You cannot find the, the Kathmandu is a polluted city at this moment, at least. At the same time, another point is our transportation system is also quite improved. And we are also planning to shift from petrol to clean energy. I mean, the electric bus and electric cars is also now already started by some private companies and some government officials. But the most important part is the government of Nepal just last year, I think, developed a new guidelines to control the air pollution in Kathmandu. And this guideline is implemented from this year. And hopefully the pollution will be controlled and will be keep in the limit that is acceptable to the human health and the local environment. I don't think the pollution is, mentioned earlier, it was... So, ors, and we cannot take a breath or <laughs> other uh, implications, something like that. No, I think that's excellent that the government has taken initiative to help the city kind of conquer the pollution in that sense. I want to move towards agriculture now. 65% of Nepal's population is involved in agriculture in some way, with sector accounting for 35% of the country's GDP. 
Can we talk about food security in the context of Nepal? And has COVID-19 impacted any of the government's efforts to kind of help people? Yeah, I think this is a very valid question. Regarding to the food security, Nepal, 60 or 70 percent of the people is based on agriculture. But despite the fact some of the food materials we import from the neighbor countries, particularly India, even a few items from China and Bangladesh as well. At the same time, we also sell some of the food products to India and Bangladesh. Regarding to the food security, I think Nepal needs a bit investment on agriculture. Definitely, I do agree on that. But the government is doing our best to make the food security. But main problem is most of the young people, they are migrated outside the country to get their employment opportunities. Maybe uh, some of the people even you can see in Hong Kong or Malaysia or Gulf countries or even other developed countries, Australia, even Japan and the United States. And the reason is that the young people, since they are not living in the rural area, due to that, there is no farmers at all in the rural area. It has very clear and uh, linear linkage over the food security problem. But if you go through the country, because our climate is very much agriculture friendly, means you can do something uh, either in mm. mills or high mountains or lowlands. All lands are arable. Arable means they are uh, very much suitable for the agriculture productivity, whether it is horticulture or the vegetables or cereal crops or other products. But definitely government of Nepal should invest, additional investment we need to promote the agriculture. Okay. I'm going to digest here again, but can we talk about wildlife crime? I know this is one of your research passions, but what does the government actually doing to cut wildlife crime down? Regarding to the wildlife crime, yeah, it's a very big issue because uh, Nepal is located between China and India. Most of the tiger and rhino horns, tiger uh, skins and the bones, they are used to sell in some other countries, sometimes East Asia, sometimes Europe and sometimes America as well. Basically, the government of Nepal, we developed three types of law to control the wildlife crime. One is CITES, is a, based on the CITES Convention. Nepal is a party. We have a separate act. One is um, National Parks and Wildlife Conservation Act. And third is, uh, of course, the Environmental Act. And Forest Act as well is another act. There are four types of laws we do have. And then we are doing our best to control the wildlife crime. In our law enforcement system, if someone else kills the tigers, then the person should go to jail for 15 years and they have to pay 1 million rupees. It's a very expensive punishment they have to face. Very stringent punishment indeed. So I just want to ask you a question about the UN Green Climate Fund. I know Nepal won its first climate grant from the UN Green Climate Fund. Can you tell us more about this, please, and who will benefit from this grant and what hope does it present for the future? Do you know, we have a very small readiness support in the past, but this year we got one big project around the 40 million. And the project is not implemented yet, but we have another small grant, a $3 million from the Green Climate Fund to develop the National Adaptation Plan. And side by side, we are also applied another proposal 
and then hopefully that Pujal also will endorse the next board meeting of the GCF. About the climate grant, I'm just curious to know more about it. You talked about being given for specific plans. Can you just maybe a little bit of detail about that? Yes, the first grant is approved the proposal. Is all the process is completed, but is it to be implemented? We are very much happy having this type of big project. It's, it's a very big project for us. We are very happy, but I'm not sure how it will implement in the future. Definitely, it will implement as per the document and is mentioned in the document. But let's wait until the implementation. Fair enough. So we had Dr. Molden from Isimod talking about Sagar Mata Sambad. Can you tell us more about this? Yeah, actually, regarding to the Sagar Mata Sambad, you met the right person, sir. Because I was the member secretary of the technical committee of the Sagar Mata Sambad. It was planned to hold this global dialogue uh, in April, I think, three to, two to three, two to four. But unfortunately, because of COVID, it was postponed and the new date had to be disclosed because still we are not sure when this COVID situation will be normalized. But government of Nepal is still stick to organize this global event. And uh, this event is about mountain climate change and humanity is a very much important topic for us as Nepal is a mountainous country. And at that time, we were organized different thematic area. As I earlier mentioned you about climate change policy, eight thematic areas and four cross-cutting areas. And this dialogue was also designed with different aspects, not only mountainous, of course, the mountainous people, even the island people also. Because if you do not link between highland and island, because the glacier melting, is a very serious problem to the mountainous country like Nepal. But mm. sea rise level is equally very serious to the island country like Maldives, Sri Lanka, or Bangladesh, right? That's why yeah. what type of linkages do we can make between these two types of countries? That was the one major area. But at the same time, the core value of that Sagaramata dialogue is to find the humanity, how the humanity is facing problem because of the climate change crisis and emergency. It was its main crux. The humanity was the main area. But unfortunately, it is postponed. And maybe in the future, when it will be announced new date, then definitely we'll be in touch and I will inform you. I really hope so too. I really hope it does happen very soon in the future. So talking about events, in the future, do you have any expectations from COP26 when it happens next year? Yes. COP26, I think, is we do have a long time to go there. But definitely, we have to get some outcomes in the COP26. Basically, my expectation is the carbon trade guidelines should be fine. Article 6, which is the carbon trade. We have to finalize it because the under the Paris rule book, that Article 6 part is still pending. We have to find the solution on that. One. The second is all the member countries, I mean, the parties should submit the enhanced NDC. As you know, the COVID and climate change, we have to manage jointly. That's why uh, there is no alternatives to find the way out through nature-based solutions, particularly green recovery. We have to find solutions from the green recovery. I mean, the 
forestry, agriculture, and then water resources, and all the business and all the entrepreneurs based on the nature without any carbon emissions. So these three areas, I think uh, we have to discuss and we have to find a way of providing. I am very much uh, hopeful that the COP26 will find the, some solutions, but it depends, you know, how the countries they prepare and uh, yeah. how the developed countries they ready to support the finance and technology. And at the same time, the developing countries, how they are ready to take the responsibility. I mean, the, to give the pressure to developed countries to additional financial support and technology. And also side by side, the new green strategies to develop the country in terms of economic development or social development or whatever you can say. I'm very much optimistic and the COP26 will find some solutions. Oh, I hope all your expectations for COP26 are met. So my second last question is really about climate change narrative as it is presented by the media to people in the region. Does it need to be changed? Do we need more participation from common people in that sense? Are they able to understand and grasp the reality of what is happening in terms of climate change? I have a mixed answer on it because all the media not are equally sensible and are equally their message is well communicated. Of course, some of the medias they have very good communicated with the issue and some best practices and some even some failure cases. But my request to the media colleagues to find the best solutions based on the ground reality, not creating rumor, but it should be reality with the ground. Basically, the people who are living in the ground and facing the problems, their stories should be explored. Otherwise, uh, simply, you know, carbon emission is a big issue and then people are very vulnerable, women are vulnerable, something that very jargon words does not make sense. Because media also should go to the ground and find the reality because all people are not equally impacted by the climate change, but the real impact should be explored through the best case scenario of the best story we have to develop and disseminate to the communities. So it's basically my last question to you. So my question really is, what does the future look like for the people of Nepal? And this is like a call to action. What is your call to action for the people of Nepal? How do you look at tackling climate change? Is government policy the only way forward? Or people doing small deeds, is that helpful? What do you say to that, sir? In climate actions, you have to focus on productivity. If you do not produce the product, I mean, uh, in terms of agriculture or forestry or water resources, then you cannot create or you cannot produce the goods and services. And if you do not produce goods and services, then you cannot get income or employment opportunity. That's why climate change action, not in the vacuum or year. Just you have to be real ground and every action should produce something. The simple, uh, you can plant a tree in your garden and that tree gives some fruits and some leaves or some products. That's why let's motivate the people do with some action, not only campaign. Because sometimes the people are very much engaged in climate change campaign. Campaign does not produce the goods. Just sensitize the people. Just it aware the people or educate the people. or to some extent, build the capacity. But if you do not produce the goods, 
then you cannot eat the food. That's why my request to change the situations, I mean, the to face the climate change problems, we have to focus on the ground with action with productivity. Yeah, that's absolutely, it's a great model for building climate resilience, right? Like it's, it's just making individual choices, which actually lead to productive action. Thank you so very much, Dr. Dakar. I'm sure our listeners have learned so much more about what's happening, you know, in terms of ground reality in Nepal. So thank you very, very much for this opportunity. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. <laughs>